0: awesome. Hey, thank you for loving these families so well. Um, it's just a privilege to, to watch from this vantage point, just the way that you love one another. Um, that, that's an evidence just of God being at work among us. Um, we are in week two of our Truth and Lies series, and we're gonna talk a lot today about our identity and how we view ourselves and really who God has called us to be, and that there are lots of different voices that are vying for our attention, and they have an alternative story to tell us. Um, Recently, I've been reading the book Atomic Habits uh, by an author named James Clear. So, um, I'm the kind of guy that, like, I like to, I have, like, tons of ideas about like what things could be like, but when it comes to actually changing things, like change is difficult. And what I've uh, just understood as I've been reading this book is that um, most of the the habits that we have um, really are attached to how we see ourselves. And um, I listened to a podcast and an interview with the author, and people that are wanting to make sweeping changes in their lives. As Americans, most of the time, we want to be able to, you know, transform our our, our finances in 90 days, or we want to be able to lose 30 pounds in two weeks. And we, we think we can do all these things just like rapidly and quickly. And um, he said, but before, you could actually become a kind of person that works out. He has people, instead of just um, trying to get up super early in the morning and go to the gym, he just has people make an appointment, go to the gym, sit in the parking lot for five minutes. Because before you can actually become the kind of person that works out at the gym, you have to be a kind of person that makes room in your schedule to go to the gym. And he just kind of helps build habits on top of one another. And he says this is the reason that we have to change the way that we view change. We have to view how we um, view ourselves. He says, True behavior change is identity change. You might start a habit because of motivation, but the only reason you'll stick with one is that it becomes part of your identity. The more that you repeat a behavior, the more you reinforce the identity associated with that behavior. In fact, the word identity was originally derived from the Latin words essentios, which means your being, and identitum, which means repeatedly. Your identity is literally your repeated beingness. And so then he goes on to apply this. And there's two different people that are trying to quit smoking, right? And so there's one person, when offered a cigarette, says, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit. And the other person says, no, thank you, I don't smoke anymore, right? And so that's kind of how those things play out, where it has to go a little bit deeper than just, hey, we're trying to change our habits, it's we have to change the way that we view ourselves. And now, when we lay that over and against the grid of truth and lies, most of the things that we experience in our lives, whether it's our relationship with God or our relationship with other people, is deep down driven by who we see ourselves to be. And so we want to go this morning to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see where the origin of lies came into the story, and we're going to be able to hopefully see where God wants to set us free from the voice of the enemy that wants to keep us from knowing who we were created to be because he God has made us to live and to be free and to do that we're going to read Genesis chapter 3 I'm going to read quite a bit so you don't have to stand up this morning but just listen in Genesis chapter 3 we're going to read verses 1 through 15 it says now the serpent was more crafty The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard, this is one of the saddest parts of all Scripture, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, so much right now, um, there are a million things going through our minds, things that are going to happen just a few moments from now, things that have already happened on the way here. I just pray that you would allow us to cut through the clutter and to hear your voice once again, speaking life and speaking truth to us and over us, I pray that you would expose the lies of the enemy and bring healing through the voice of the one who crushes the serpent. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis chapters 1 through 3, I mean, if you read the first three chapters of the Bible, what you're going to get is the true story of the entire world. I mean, it is all there. How God created the world, perfect and beautiful. Who He created us to be as his image bearers. And then in um, chapter 3, there is another voice that enters into the story. It is the voice of the serpent. It begins to cast doubt on who God is. And from that very moment, we are all in this journey to figure out who we are. The moment that Adam and Eve begin to Buy into the lie that God is a voice that can't be trusted. They were scrambling. I, that verse, verse 11, where it talks about who told you you were naked. I mean, that, that's an apt description of what it's like to live life in this world. Like most of us, if we're honest in our vulnerable moments, we feel naked, we feel vulnerable, we feel exposed. And that's because there is another voice that has entered into the story. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is that the voice that we listen to the most will determine the quality of our lives. The voice that we listen to the most will determine the quality of our lives. Most of us, I would say, and I would put myself in this category, we are not very, um, we're pretty passive in the things that go through our mind and our heart. And it's just like they, they just kind of flow through like a river and And Genesis chapter 3 really is an invitation for all of us to take stock of the things that we hear and the things that we listen to. The origin of all of the lies in the universe come in verse 1 where the serpent said, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And from that very moment, there was suspicion cast on the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God. Right? Right? That God is someone that can't be trusted, that He's someone that we need to run away from instead of running to. And that has been the story of all of us. And then you see, just. Adam and Eve becoming exposed and sowing fig leaves together to, to make themselves more presentable and trying to cover themselves up. And I love that, that God in the midst of all of this, He's the one that's looking for them. He's the one that despite their disobedience, He's going and saying, Adam, where are you? He's wanting to reestablish a relationship with them. And so what I want to do for just the next several moments is to just talk about some common lies that we all believe, because that same voice that God can't be trusted um, is really still alive and well for most of us. And our identity, what we were talking about in the beginning, is something where the battleground for truth and lies really takes place. Like the serpent still has an alternative voice and wants us to believe that we are less than God has created us to be, and we must make our own way in the world. And not only that, that God is someone that can't be trusted. And so I really do believe that God is present here this morning because He wants to do real ministry, right? I mean, this isn't just, hey, I want you to take some notes and I want you to kind of understand a few things. But this is about us bringing the real things of our lives to bear before the king of the universe because he's present here and he wants to heal us. And so the first lie that we're going to look at this morning is, I am my pain. I am my pain. Um, Most of our growth and progress in the Christian life is tied up to how we view our own story, how we view the pain that we have walked through. Most of us would rather do anything than talk about or acknowledge the fact that we have broken parts in our own lives and broken parts in our own stories. But when we lay our heads on our pillows at night, the truth is that most people have enough pain in their story that pain is not just something that shapes your story, but it becomes who you are in your story. So you begin to take on labels from the enemy. One that was abused, neglected, rejected, right, unlovable, unwanted. Someone that is unworthy of love and connection. You so identify your life with the pain and the trauma that you've gone through that you actually become your pain. And in the midst of all of that... um, God wants to come in and He wants to bring hope and He wants to bring healing to those things. He's inviting us to take off the identity that I'm so associated with my pain so that we can connect with the healer. The biblical example of this is Naomi and Ruth. I don't know if you know this story, but you could read it in the book of Ruth. But both Naomi and Ruth were widowed. They were living in the land of Moab Naomi's name actually means pleasant, but she became so identified with her loss, she said, I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I don't want you to call me pleasant. I want you to call me Mara or bitter, right? And that's because pain became what she was known by. And listen, there are so many people in this room, if you're honest. like That's how you view yourself, and that's how you view your story. And God is inviting you in the midst of this, to break through the pain and to break through the disappointment and bring that pain and disappointment to Him. The greatest lie in the universe is God is the author of your pain. Right? You will never run to someone for healing that you think is the one that has caused your pain. Right? And so Satan takes the events of our lives, right? What, now we're going to bump into some mystery here. But the reality is, like, Scripture teaches a God who is a healer, a God that is a restorer, a God that enters Himself into the story. He breaks people free. But most of the time, I mean, I've spent hundreds if not thousands of hours counseling individuals, and almost one to a person, they have this question. Why did God cause this to happen in my life? Right? And the reason that that question is universal is because the ultimate lie is not that our pain is the result of living in a broken or a sinful world or at the hands of other people, but we end up blaming and charging God with the reality of our pain. And what God wants to do in the midst of this is to say, hey, I want, I want to open your eyes to the whole story. We have a wounded healer, right? He was... He was punished for our sins. He was nailed to a cross. He is familiar with sorrows and grief, and he provides a way of escape. And so I think God wants to remove that lie from your life and cause you to be one that runs to him in one, instead of one that runs away from him. We have a God that's committed to justice and righting wrongs and healing bodies and souls. He's here to set us free so we want to bring our pain to him instead of running away from him in the midst of it right so the first lie is i am my pain and this one i think is is closely associated with it um it's i am my fear right so this is what could happen to me and just as i was praying this morning i mean god just highlighted that fearful people are made and not born So what I mean by that is if you are a fearful person, and all of us battle fear to differing degrees, but if you are a fearful person, it's because on some level there is unresolved pain inside of your story. And God wants to come in and He wants to be able to root those things out. And and there's a, I love to read about adoption and adoption stories. And one of the most tragic things that was shocking to me, that every person that's ever walked into um, an orphanage, maybe overseas, is how eerily silent it is. And that's because the children have been so neglected that they knew that no one would hear their cry, and so they're just silent. And I really felt like that was a picture for some fearful people here today. Like, um, you may go through all of the business of church. you may open up your Bible, but you no longer bring your fears and your pain to the lord and I, I think he 's just inviting you to come to him and to re engage with him because you are a child of the living God so um, unresolved pain God being at the source of our pain and just the reality that that so many of us want to i mean i Uh, just another picture, and I was thinking about this during worship, just that that we have a a lock on our hearts, right? Because we don't want to let anyone in. But the thing about that is, like, not only can not bad things get in, but good things can't get in as well. And God wants to just come in and say, listen, like, I'm the one whose love casts out fear. I'm the one that came into the story that you can have hope and that you can have healing. So, both I am my pain and I am my fear, and Jesus wants to set you free from those lies today. Next, we're going to look at I am my performance. I am my performance. I am my best moment. I am my worst moment. So we'll bring it up a little bit. Um, Friday night, I went to see New Kids on the Block. So anybody, any New Kids fans out there? All the younger people are out, so you, like you guys can get excited about New Kids on the Block. And um, actually, I really enjoyed this show for, for a lot of reasons. One was the, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it brings you back to junior high, and that's always a good experience. But then I had this simultaneous, like, because I, I, you don't want to hang out with me at concerts, because I'm, like, I'm thinking about what it must be like. So it wasn't only New Kids on the Block. It was uh, a one-hit wonder from the 80s named Tiffany. Anybody know Tiffany? Right? I think I'm alone now. And I felt so bad. <laughs> yeah, she's not gonna listen to this podcast. But anyway, like, her best moment for her was when she was 16 years old, right? And she's saying, I think I'm alone now. I wonder what it's like to be able to have to take the stage and to sing that song. Over and over, right? And, and I'm guessing Tiffany's pushing 50 at this point, you know? And like she's really like having to do this over and over and over again, right? Nobody's coming to New Kids on the Block concert to hear them break out their new material, right? Everybody wants them, right? I want you to make me feel like I'm 13 years old again. And, and I, I'm telling you, 90% of the crowd was women. And they <laughs> like that's the story that they were living. But that's a picture... Quite honestly, of what it's like to live by your performance, right? Now you may not keep score by being the, you know, a one-hit wonder in the '80s or a pop band from the late '80s, but we all keep score, right? It could be your bank account, it could be your kids' performances, it could be um, how you think you're doing in your marriage. For most Americans, it's your activity level, like we equate busyness with significant, right? If I'm so busy, there's no way that I can be insignificant, and there's just this hunger and desire um, to prove ourselves, our worth, and our value by our performance. And it's as if somehow we view God as this cosmic scorekeeper, where if we are doing well by whatever our definition of well is, then He loves and accepts us and He brings us close. And if we're not keeping up with our own performance, then um, He withdraws His love. And what the Gospel of Jesus Christ is, what's absolutely true is that the Gospel means the end of scorekeeping. Right? That you're not defined by your best moment. You are not limited by your worst moment. Um some of us think Christianity means that God kind of comes in and wipes the slate clean and you get a new beginning. You ever heard something like that? Yes. yes. All right, we're responsive here today. It's awesome. Yes, have you ever heard? Yeah, like the, the deal though with Christianity is it's not that God just wipes the slate clean. He takes the slate and He breaks it over His knee on the cross of Calvary so that you are no longer defined by your performance. You're defined by the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be a slave to what you did in the past. You don't have to be a slave to what you think you can achieve in this life. You get to experience freedom and joy. Christianity means the end end of scorekeeping. It is finished for the people of God. So we no longer have to live and be defined by our best moment or our worst moment. Paul Zoll, in his book, Seculosity, and I love the subtitle of this, he says it's called, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became the New Religion and What to Do About It. He says, our religion is what we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but enoughness. Listen carefully, and you'll hear these words, enough, everywhere. Especially when it comes to anxiety, loneliness, exhaustion, and division that plague our moment to such tragic proportions. You'll hear about people scrambling to be successful enough, happy enough, thin enough, wealthy enough, influential enough, desired enough, charitable enough, woke enough. Good enough, right? We believe instinctively that if we reach some benchmark in our minds, then value, vindication, and loves would be ours. That if we got enough, we would be enough. Right? So I don't know what enough is for you here this morning. But God wants to set you free from whatever enough is and to say, you are in my beloved Son. Right? The gospel is for people that know that they're not enough, right? And they've given up trying to be enough. The gospel is for people that say, listen, I I know that I'm not enough and I want the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus to define me. So you're not limited by your goodness, your best moments, and you're not defined by your worst moments, right? There are so many in this room that are defined by failure, Right? I don't know what that moment was for you. You probably at the beginning of the Christian life thought that God had some kind of plan for you, but you somehow left that behind. And the Gospel says, listen, you're not defined by your worst moments. You're defined by the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. He wants to come, and He wants to set you free. You no longer have to live by your performance. You get to live by the performance of another. And we'll never get tired of saying that here over and over again. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and what He has done. So, I'm my pain. I'm my fear. I'm my performance. Finally, I want to close with this. I am my perception of me or others' perception of me. In 2015, a 15-year-old Instagram Instagrammer named uh, Asina O'Neill did the following. She came clean about the pressures of trying to measure up to the standards and opinions of others. She said... I think we have a, a picture of this. She said, Please like this photo. She said, I put on makeup, curled my hair, tight dress, uncomfortable jewelry, took over 50 shots until I got one that I thought you might like. Then I edited one selfie for ages on several apps just so I could feel some social approval from you. There is nothing real about this. Hashtag construct. Right? So this is a young lady who was aware just of the social pressures of trying to measure up others' perception of her. And as I was thinking about this week, I mean, there's so many of us that live like with an, think that we have to have some kind of airbrushed version of ourselves to present to the world, right? We try to put ourselves through all of these filters and all of these grids, right? And I want to talk to moms for a moment right? It is Mother's Day. So many of you are laboring under burdens that you were never meant to carry. You're never meant to try to be like this person. You need to become the person or the mom that God has created you to be. And I, I do I think God wants to allow so many in this room to put down things that you're not called to carry. That He came to remove burdens from you, not to add them he says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you don't have to be someone's, you know, perception of who you're supposed to be. Like there's so much pressure about what kids should eat and when they should go to sleep and how much screen time they should have, right? I mean, <laughs> like it has, I, I would I would assume, um, yeah, just moms frazzled and wondering, you know, how in the world can you keep up with all the expectations? I mean, should I stay at home? Should I go to work? Should I do all of these things? And I think Jesus at the end of the day would say, listen, I just want you to come near and I want you to hear my heartbeat, you know, that I come so that you can have rest, that it is finished. You don't have to be someone's perception of you. But then I think also God wants to, and I'm going to end with this, He wants to Help us with our own perception of ourselves. David Tackle in his his book, Truth About Lies and Lies About the Truth, says this. um, And he's quoting a man named David Benner. But we all need to seriously consider this question. It's probably the most important thing I'll say here today. When God brings you to mind, what do you suppose He thinks and feels about you? As it turns out, the answer to which the majority of Christians will give is disappointment. The point here is that many people suffer terribly from self-hate, which is part fleshed out disbelief in God's love for them. They want another life, either because they are sure that they have failed at this one, or because they believe that God has shortchanged them from the start. So part of the reason that we are so vulnerable to the slavery of the perceptions of others is because... We don't feel like deep down that we are worthy of love and connection. If there's anything that the gospel states is that not only does God so love the world that he gave his only son, but God so loves you that he gave his only son so that you could experience life and forgiveness and healing and wholeness. And listen, he loves not the Instagram version of you. He loves the you that gets angry. He loves the you that's selfish. He loves the you that fails over and over again. You don't have to clean yourself up or um yeah, to try to make yourself something that you're not. God loves you just as you are. But the miracle of the gospel is that his love actually changes us and sets us free. We no longer have to live for the approval or the acceptance of other people. Finally, I'm going to close with this quote and then we'll pray. Brennan Manning says this in his book Abba's Child. Define yourself as radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. So we are, by the the grace of God here on this Mother's Day, uh, this is a room full of people that can be radically defined by the love of God. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to try to measure up. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of love. He's inviting you to look to the spot that his love was most clearly manifest, and that's in the cross of Jesus, so that you can experience life and wholeness. If you'd like to know more about that, would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his great love for us. Thank you um, that he frees us from the lies of the enemy. I pray that you would do just real ministry here in these moments, that you would help us. Um, Not to just have some fake version of who we are, but that you would come in in the midst of our lives and that you would heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.